If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Sending out good vibes. Shivers or vibrations and stuff like that. America. You know, I started on the Fatima Jick Theater group, you know, when I was very young. You know, I was maybe 26 years old when I started the West State Children's Theater to introduce theater to the community here. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grand America Show. We are going to be chatting with Dr. Shirley Chichu a little bit later. Um, bit of a heavy interview, short one. I think it's only 30 minutes or so about her time in the residential schools and being a residential school survivor and what she's sort of doing now to try and and uh, improve the community and get things back on track over where she's at in Ontario and then we're going to supplement the short interview with a bunch of, we got some hunting stuff when we were out on the elk hunt. Um, we we recorded from the hotel room with the four of us. That's about 20 or 25 minutes. The audio should be pretty good or not great, but better than, not as good as this, but better than some shows. And yeah. uh, we got Graham, I survived the COVID attack Dunlop here. I survived the hunting trip, Dunlop. Barely. I don't know. Barely. I think that was worse than times. the COVID attack. My that thought is that it was worse. Attack. My thought is that it was worse than you were letting on at times. Worse than I was letting on. Worse yeah. than I was letting on. Uh, like you, no, I don't think so. No? I was I was letting on pretty <laughs> you, good. You were letting on pretty good. I mean, I had to. Well, a lot of times I had to just fucking bail down and and start wind and breathing, like you know. Getting catching my breath, basically, you know. And those are pretty light days, really, considering to what it would be like. Oh, yeah. If you if were back to the earth, th- yeah, through dark or whatever. Or when so, we do an, a like a mountain hunt, and you're like, you know, you're just camping, you're just walking yeah. as far as you can, and then camping and getting back at it in the morning. Yeah. But you survived. I survived. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Lots of lots had, of hiking up and down hills, and you had to tell us to go on without you a few times. Yeah, yeah. On this second portion, which we'll talk about, it was with the, right before you got your kill. I was like, "Just go without me. I'll meet you at the truck. Don't wait for me." I felt bad. I was just starting to burn out again. You know. Yeah, man. Well, we walked away. But I mean, it wasn't that far. Mm-hmm. But. So, so yeah. this is a good chat with Shirley. Though we get into the 20th anniversary of the Wingushk Film Institute. That's the film institute that I believe she started. Uh, and there is a great—I did watch a great film that she made. It was fantastic. It was like about these three ladies getting sort of strung around the law system and abusive cops and and people in the neighborhood and all this stuff. It was pretty. It was pretty cool. Very raw, raw and real type film with like real people act actresses and actors kind of thing but the film institute that she she says i mean it really helps the youth it helps them learn a whole bunch of skills and abilities and, and it's very um uh 
important how the arts are communicating issues in our culture, you know, and it empowers these young people. So I think she's really doing an interesting, unique thing for the uh, indigenous community and, 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 and every, everything in general, just bringing awareness to the whole issue. Totally. I agree. Yeah. So yeah. Can I, can I talk about the hunt then? Yeah. Let's hear your take on it. Well, you've dude, had a couple so of days is, to ruminate on it. So this is the second day because we the whole the whole uh, the whole audio that you're going to hear after this is our for the after the first day. So you'll hear all those stories. Um, by the way, did I leave my crystal in the hotel room? Did you do you, do you got it? I haven't seen your crystal. No, I I uh, we did a pretty good scan of the hotel room. We thought but I, I didn't. I see thought I, I washed it and everything, and I think I left it there. Oh, well, I guess it was meant to be. I guess I wasn't meant to steal it off the army base. Anyways, well, you know, the whole context of this hunting trip will be come out after this here, after we tell this. So this is the second day we meet up with Darren on the, on the base. Uh, it's super windy, right? What do you think? Like 20 mile an hour winds, you think 30? Probably 20. I mean, it felt more, with more bigger gusts. Some of the gusts were crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's tough to say. Probably yeah. 20, but it was super, but it was still beautiful for November in Canada. I mean, what? Five, 10 degrees Fahrenheit. It was 13 Celsius. Celsius. 13 celsius so you're sometimes in the shade or the wind and it got a little chillier but sometimes you're cooking because you're in the sun and you're just hiking around so anyways this day we you know darren is suggesting like let's go into the coolies this is where the moose are going to be hiding because they're not going to be out in the wind you know you're not going to find herds in the coolies i guess but you're thinking like the ones that aren't in herds i mean i don't know where the herds would go in all that wind but you're thinking like they're going to be hiding out in the coolies. So we, we go down to this spot that we were kind of familiar with from the first day. And we knew there was coolies to the left of the road and coolies to the right. That sounds like a song. Coolies to the left and coolies <laughs> to the right. Here I Stuck in, Stuck the, in middle. the middle. So we split up and Darren and I go down. And I mean, it's like, you can't even see these coolies from the truck. You can't even see them a hundred yards off the road. You can't even see them until you're right upon them a lot of times and then you're upon them and it's this huge network of coolies and then there's one next to it and next to it i mean so we're climbing around so we go down into the coolies we're gonna go and it just goes on and on and on forever to the river and we're seeing deer and but we're looking for elk of course it's an elk hunt specifically so we see some lots some of antelope yeah not in the coolies no. the antelope not, yeah in the coolies. not in the coolies but you know, so we go down to the river and then we had, I mean, this is a long journey itself. So I'm already getting exhausted. Like I'm already thinking, oh man, we shouldn't have come down this far. I got all the way back up to the truck. Eventually that's, you know, hopefully we don't kill something way down here. I'm looking for the other road thinking, is there a closer exit if they're in shoot something? Anyways, we end up on the way back. What's that? Maybe we could raft it all the way out to where we could drive the truck. Yeah. We'll send you in the raft. Yeah. Just paddling away. Some makeshift flotation device. So we had, a, we, we're starting to head back and we go up this hill to get a better view. And usually you go up these hills thinking you're going to get a better view. And there's just another hill and it just goes on and on. Like these rolling hills are so deceiving. Anyway. So we see this, another big coulee. So this is not the one we came down. This is another one that's kind of next to it, I guess. I don't know if it was the next one over or two over maybe. I think they all connected by the time they got to the river. Maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, oh, maybe down. Yeah, yeah. Huh. 
So I see this big rust color across the coulee. So how would you say? It looked like rusty meadows, 210. It did. I thought it was, I thought for sure it was some like human made thing, like a a rusty frame left there. Cause the army base, I mean, there's, or there's like ordnance left around. There's like weird, there's a bunch of uh, oil and gas. What would you call those things again? Those uh, pump jacks. Pump jacks. There's you know, there is some stuff. some man-made stuff there, right? So you know, you, every t- every once in a while you see something and it, and it's not natural. So I'm looking through the binoculars. I'm like, that's not a that's not that like that's I think that's an elk. And then right above it, there's another elk. So there's two elks bedded down in this maybe like what you were saying, sixty degree slope or something, hiding from the wind and the sun up in, in the this top coulee. of the coolie finger. Yeah. So I'm like, Darren, there's those. They're right there, and they of course they. The one sees me because we're standing there like we're not hidden. We're standing out in the open all the way across the coulee. So anyways, uh, you know, and I was thinking about trying to flank him, but that would have been like, honestly, by the time you go down the coulee up the other side, go around, it's probably like a kilometer of hiking. And who knows, you know, how long it would take you to go down and up and if they're going to still be there by the time you go uh, go around, but I was really thinking about flanking them and getting a closer shot. But you're like, well, I can shoot them from here. So super windy still. Yeah. In maybe retrospect, could... I couldn't shoot them from there. Yeah. But I mean, I was, windy. I moved up to this other point and I think they saw one got up and looked right at me. I think they saw the, uh, I was trying to hide, but I think they saw the glint of the sun off the binoculars. So, but you had lots of time to set up, right? <laughs> yeah. I got comfortable. I got comfortable and shot. I just missed. It was too windy. You know, yeah. you need two shots so you can see where the first one hits and try to adjust. But they were yeah. up and running pretty quick. And they lumbered away. And then we were trying to figure out where they were going to go. And we were talking, uh, texting back and forth with the guys at the truck. And they were actually watching us from this vantage point, like two kilometers away, probably. They saw a lot of us way, way down there. I don't think they saw that actual. I don't think they saw you shooting. No. They must have. Did they hear the sh- shots even? No, nah, it was too windy. Wow. That's crazy that they didn't even hear those. So then. Um, they heard the know, la- last shots, I think. So they ran across the road too far away from those guys to get them. I mean, we, we could probably could have coordinated that a little better. I probably should have realized that the truck was further to the to the north, you know, than we thought. I mean, once they're on the run, it's you can you can all bets are off. Anyway, so we tried to sort of uh, go the long way around a little bit to see if we could head them off, like if they came back down this way through another coulee. But, anyways, again, this we're back to now. We're back to the spot where it's like already like I'm looking at the watch and thinking, oh my god, it's already two o'clock. Like and last. The, the day before we got out of there late because it was kind of a late kill. So I'm thinking, okay, we're almost like, we're almost done here. If we go back to the truck, there's not going to be much time. And that's when I said, okay, go ahead. Like I was just exhausted. I was like, okay, go ahead without me. And then I hear once you're a little ways ahead and then I hear the gunshot again. I'm like, Oh, here we go. I'm just trying to pick up speed to try and come over to see it. You're like, yeah, you got your arms up. You're like, yeah. So I don't know, man. I find it very strange. I said this on when, I don't know if I said this on the outlawed episode or not, but the way I think about the more I think about it, the three times I've been with you hunting and the three times you've actually killed something on those days 
haven't been when we see something and we're tracking it or we're following it or you're we're vis- visually, you know, we know something's there and we're sneaking up on it. All three times are when you are walking ahead of the group, intuitively coming across it yourself. I mean, two in the coolies on the two days on this trip. And then the other time was the moose on your own. Like it's, I think there's something to your intuition or, or your, you guys just can't keep up. I mean, you guys will be there if you could keep up. Yeah, but maybe we won't be in the right spot. Or I mean, you're you're going right to the right spot. I mean, both times you came across like there was hardly any elk in the coolies, and you came across two singles. I mean, that's uh, to me that the only two singles that we ever saw in the coolies. Well, we don't know how many elk were in the coolies. Yeah, but we never saw any because there's miles and miles. We never saw any elk in the coolie coolie. except for that day when I we saw the two. No, we never saw one on on its own ever. And you came across two on its own. I mean, what are, like either what are the chances or you've got some really good, some sort of instinct or some sort of, you know, could be that, but I'd, mo- it's a lot of, it's like putting in the miles too. You know, you just like, can't stop. Just keep going. You can't I mean, stop. You keep going. I mean, eventually if then. I had intuition, I wouldn't have had to walk like 22 miles in two days to find them. You know, you just find them, but it's just like, Getting out of the truck and putting in the miles. Just none in there. Go to the next one. None in there. Go to the next one. Don't get discouraged. Just keep going. Keep going. Yeah. Keep going. Try not to cover the same ground twice. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I don't know if it's for me. It's a lot of walking. It's, it's a lot of walk. Well, once you once you get the thing in the coulee, both times I'm had to haul it out. Well, I'm currently uh, working on a system with some aluminum pegs that you pound in. That you could then hook up a uh, a winch to to get pull it up the coulee, and then honestly, if you're uphill, you could just keep pulling that thing out 150 feet at a time and winching it. You probably wouldn't bother. I mean, once you're out of the coulee, it's not bad. Well, yeah, you had a really cool cart. I mean, the cart was a real lifesaver. If you didn't have the cart, so if you could just load the cart up and fucking fucking drag it right up the side of the coulee with a winch or a turfer it wouldn't be bad because that's what sucks is you 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 carry up this 100 foot 60 degree hill and that's the start that's the start of the work and now push the cart fucking 3k yeah so if you were like you know just turfing and not exhausted by the time it got to the thing you'd have all your energy to just push the cart you probably make out pretty good so I'm working on a system. I just want to make it out of aluminum instead of steel so it's uh, not too heavy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because most of the stuff I kill ends up being in the coulee. Except that yeah, moose. On those hunts anyways. And I, mean, I, mean, you're, I mean, that's probably the only time you're really hunting in the coulees is on this military base, right? No, I kill most of my deer in coulees too. Oh, really? Yeah. And oh, moose down, in down coulees south? too. If you're, if you're hunting moose in the prairies, it's going to be in a coulee probably. Wow. Now you got to carry yeah, it out of the coolie. Yeah, That's a motherfucker is getting shit out of the coolie. Yeah. But it's not much better carrying it out of the bush. Here's the thing. In the bush, the cart don't work. Yeah. Can you imagine trying to use that cart where we shot the moose? No. There's, It'd be useless. It. Yeah. So then yeah. you just show it, throwing that shit on your shoulder, and away you go. Which is in some ways much, much worse. Totally. Because you only had to do one trip when you came. Usually you're if you're doing two or three trips. Yeah. 
So, well, I mean, if I'd be, if I'd be in any better shape at all, I mean, I, I would have been fine. I mean, it, honestly, like this was probably the worst timing in my life for a 15 kilometer hike through the coolies. I mean, really two days in a row. The first yeah. day wasn't really through the coolies is up all the hills and down all the hills. Well, the end was <laughs> the end was coolies, <laughs> the end that was up and down, up and down, up and down. Up and down. <laughs> That's what really killed me. Going up the hills really killed me. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard. It's hard on everything. I mean, it's the, in a lot of ways, it's the ultimate workout, especially yeah. when you're carrying something. Carrying something up a crazy hill is hard. I find it worse going down. Yeah, it's I hard mean, on my knees going down those yeah. things. Up seems to just work, or maybe downs when I notice that I damaged them going up. But it's a de- like I told you. Now you know what a death march is. Not a lot of yeah. people know what a fucking proper death march is. And that's not even a proper death march. I guess a proper death march is when people are actually falling off and dying when they're marching off to some prison camp or something. But that's about as close as you're going to get when you've got a few kilometers to go and you just want to curl up in a ball and go to sleep. Oh, yeah. Well, I couldn't even keep up to you three pushing like 300 pounds of meat in the cart and on the first day. And I just couldn't keep up to you guys even. I was just like, I wasn't much of a help. <laughs> The cart was about 300 pounds on day one and about 400 pounds on day two. Yeah. But, I mean, that's great. We got both days. We got an elk. I mean, I don't I don't know what the success rate was in that because there's about 140 hunters there. I'd say it's about 60%. I don't, I'm not sure. 60, 70%, I think. I don't know. I, I'm at is, 100%. Yeah. I haven't shot an elk every day I got there, but I got elk every season. Yeah last year but now that i walk daily, so the so last year i just 75%. drove everywhere if you just walk in you gotta walk there's a lot but of elk daily there you're, daily you're at 75 percent. they're getting pushed all over the place if you just get out of the truck and be willing to i mean that's a big thing a lot of people aren't willing to shoot that animal that big four or five miles from their vehicle yeah because it's a well lot, that's not four or five miles. that's not fair four or five miles four 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 or five four kilometers, kilometers say. yeah yeah well we were lucky this time i mean these were close ones yeah last year was much farther but deer it's not bad either they're much lighter but so I- it was a good yeah it was a good experience for sure i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm a hunter maybe a vegan I don't know. I might just have to keep that hypocritical middle ground. <laughs> well, I mean, you don't have to be a hunter. You could always just be a helper. Yeah, I can just help. You're, I'll, help I'll be the gatherer. We'll teach you how to get. Oof. That's the worst part? Yeah, it seems like the worst part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good to it's good to learn and watch you guys do what you do, and and uh, really just learn at least those skills. If I ever had to do it, I could probably do it. Worst case scenario, you know. It's not the worst part. The worst part is dragging it back to the truck. Uh, I don't know. Once you get comfortable with the fact of being up to your elbows inside something, yeah. But it's not like you're playing with guts, or you know what I mean. There's no. If you do your job right, that all stays as one contained unit, right? Yeah, From the windpipe yeah. all the way down to the butthole. Yeah. If you don't, I mean, you haven't even, maybe you come across something that someone shoots in the gut. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a different no, fucking situation. Yeah, that, yeah. It's a different situation for sure. But you did good. I mean, I thought well, you'd thanks, do yeah. worse. I yeah. really did. No, it was a good experience. 
You didn't complain. Did I? Didn't I? No, a little bit, but it wasn't like annoying. Oh yeah. <laughs> it wasn't too bad. I, I showed up to the reverend. Truck hunting. Of course, you know, the reverend drove around the truck a little bit more, you know. And not got any elk. Yeah. The reverend was there. Of course, shout out to the reverend Chad from the chats. Um, Miles came out with us, and Miles, Miles isn't in the chats or nothing, but Reverend's pretty active in the chats. He was out there with us for a couple of days, and then Rev and I spent the whole day yesterday duck hunting out at uh, Badger Lake too, chasing ducks around. We did some scout, and then we did some duck hunting. Awesome. And now wait for uh, you know three hundred and fifty pounds of meat to come back from the butcher, and then I got to go in two or three weeks. I'm going to get a sausage deer. Uh, Lots of good comments from our Instagram. People supporting you and people congratulating you. And so you're gonna do. So where are you gonna go in three or four weeks? Uh, deer hunt. So isn't that a little wintry or what? Like what happens in the winter here? Deer season just opened up a couple of days ago. Oh man! So what? My so, buddy just got his deer last night. Uh, I'm gonna wait a couple of weeks till the red, till the first bit of the season's over and the rush is off. And then, because I haven't taken a deer yet this year, I'm out of sausage now, though. I'm officially out of sausage. So I got to go take a deer because that's what I make sausage out of. I use deer for sausage. So you just do the whole deer and just just make the whole thing into sausage? Yes. Yeah. That's right. It'll give me about, uh, well, maybe I'll make a little jerky or something like that. I'll probably take the tenderloins out, but then I'll sausage everything else. And I'll end up with, you know, 150 pounds of sausage which I'll split with miles and then we'll have 75 pounds of sausage each and that'll get us through pretty much through to next fall, you know, like and your kids like that too. Yeah. Sausage is their favorite. Yeah. Nice. Either that or the cold stuff. We're having ducks. That's good. You can feed yourself through the winter. That's awesome. That's right. You just got to be comfortable around killing things. Yep. So what do you got? You got a quote? Well, I do have a quote. Yeah, it's kind of a fun one. I'll see. I, I'd funny. really love to know if you can guess this. No, it's not funny. No, oh. not at all. <laughs> but you'll like it because you you probably agree with it. And uh, it's a little deeper than you would expect from this person. It's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? This is good. This is a while ago, too. So, the press. Ready? Yes, sir. The press is manipulating everything that's been happening. They don't tell the truth, they are lying. They manipulate our history books. The history books are not true, it's a lie. The history books are lying. You need to know that. You must know that. Alex Jones. No. <laughs> I'll give you another chance. Another chance? Yeah. Uh, hmm. Pop star? Pop star? The one who thinks it's flat? <laughs> I don't know much about pop From a while star. ago? What? From a while ago? Britney Spears? No. Close. That what? was a good guess. She's probably on board with that. Is it the uh, the one that's always shaking her titties around? I don't know any pop stars. No, it's bro. a guy. It's a guy. Yeah. Justin Timberlake? If I'm allowed to 
gender him when he's not alive. Yeah, you don't. Oh, he's dead. Yeah. Kurt Cobain. No, another good guess. Right, Michael good. Jackson. Michael Jackson. MJ. Yeah. yeah. Michael Jackson. Yeah. Mm, he has some good songs. I like the one with Thriller. That was my first concert, actually. Was it? I see a yeah. bunch of people died at a concert the other day. Yeah, they called it a mass. What did they call it again? A mass, mass casualty event. Mass casualty event. Wonder what happened. Maybe it's not good. Uh, it was idea a satanic. Get... Uh, it was a satanic uh, sacrifice. Maybe it's not a good idea to get in around all that uh, bass music after you get shot. Hmm. <laughs> I just had the ringing in my ear too. Oh. But uh, hmm. yeah, I've seen some weird shit from that. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a good idea to cram 50,000 people into a place and get people, you know, it's just, oof. when you're moshing and stuff like that, it's fucking pat. It's just too much. Yeah. Too many people. Yeah, I agree. You know, when I was banging, it was always like, a big concert's probably more like 15,000. I mean, there's no control at 50,000 people. Holy fuck. Is that how many were there? Yeah, 55,000 people. That's like a full like stadium. That. Yeah. I haven't even heard of this guy. Me either. But we're pretty I mean, I'm so <laughs> old and out of it. I mean, I'm just an old out of man touch, with, the music, out of shape. with the music, especially. like You're coming a bit oh, curmudgeon-y as you get older, too. Oh, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm getting, I couldn't even wait till my 60s before I turned curmudgeon-y. It's a rough go. Oh, I was listening to like 80s music on the way to the hunt or on the way back a little bit. You were with Miles? Yeah, a little bit. Miles let you throw on some '80s tunes, some rock. Yeah, I was, I was get, guessing him to, I was getting him to guess the years. Okay. Some of that Def Leppard stuff's like 1970, dude. Black Sabbath was from six. No, no, Leopard was 80, 1980, like 79, 80, and what? Sabbath, Sabbath was 70, 1970. What does Seven Arms and Socks? Uh, Def Leppard. <laughs> I think I've told that joke on the show before, actually. <laughs> anyway, what else you got? That's it. That's it? We're done? Yeah. Yeah, we're done, done. A little short episode. We had to get this Chichu <laughs> one figured out. Then next week we'll have, uh, who's up next week? I mean, I do have a good, Meredith? I mean, I do have some stuff to read from some listeners if uh, if you want. You want to read, read a, I can read something out. Like a social media thing or an email? Yeah, social media thing, yeah. We haven't used that jingle in a while. Show notes, jingle, gem trails, support. Well, what? Oh. Bingo, bingo, social media jingle. Don't forget to rate, comment, and or subscribe to the Grime America. Oh, I think we got to get that newsletter back on there. Got to talk to your your uh, website guy that took off out of Canada. Yes, he has fled the country. <laughs> Smart man. 
Okay. So this is from our chats. Uh, this is from Brad. He's like, hey, Graham, this is the Graham from the show, I'm assuming. LOL. I just want to thank you deeply for your show and the work you've done. It's kept me company many hours at work. It's sent me on a path of self-improvement and made me feel not so alone as I've been a lifelong seeker in a world of sheep. I've listened to the coast to coast since I was 12 and I'm now 39. It's been difficult to find people into the same interests. It's really hit me hard as my kids are in their teens now and don't want to hang out with their dad all the time anymore. That's funny. It's the second time I've heard that in the last two days. So you guys have really helped me keep company. Something you might find near is I'm from Dudney, BC, just outside of Mission. I'm sure you know it. My family owned the Dudney General Store for 50 years. So, I'm, of course, I've been to that store many times. You might have stopped in and bought some beef jerky or pepperoni as it was legendary. You are from Maple Ridge, right? I figured you must know Dudney and must have likely been to the store. I also have a connection to Darren, as I have I've been a worker as an underground miner for the last 16 years. I've worked all over Canada and even in Red Lake, Darren's hometown. Pretty cool, I think. Anyway, I just want to thank you for your excellent work and the awesome community you've built. It's really helped me through the hard times more than you'll ever know. I listened to Outwitting the Devil yesterday at work. Fucking great common sense stuff should be mandatory reading in school. Today, I just bought Secret Teachings of All Ages, narrated by you. Stoked, can't wait to listen at work. Much love, brother. Nothing but good vibes. Good so that's awesome. So speaking of the speaking of the audiobooks, yeah, we just got a couple more released, right? Isis Unveiled. Isis Unveiled and Re- Ancient Religion of the Chinese. Little book there talking about the genocide in the early 1800s. It's not really in the official timeline at all, amongst other things. And all the, a bunch of Helena Vlatsky stuff. <laughs> We got uh, all the secret doctrines and all that great stuff. Hamlet's Mill, big one, big one, Hamlet's Mill. And uh, check all that stuff out, adultbrain.ca. Support this show, too. It's not a free show. It's a value-for-value show. We put in a lot of effort, a lot of hours, a lot of money, a lot of everything. And uh, if you're getting a little value back from the hopefully value we're providing, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support today, right now. Sign up for a monthly, a buck a month, two bucks a month, ten bucks a month. You decide. Maybe you want to make a one-time donation, make up for lost time. Do that as well over there. You can send cryptos. You can do all sorts of stuff. You buy my book uh, over at acanadianshame.ca. I mean, you can check out grammericaoutlaw.ca. Sign up for the Plus Show over there. But uh, do something to support the show because, you know, we're trying to do this as a full-time gig. Graham is doing it as a full-time gig. And uh, we need you now more than ever. Now we really appreciate it because we couldn't do all this without you guys supporting this show. We really appreciate it. We couldn't do it without you, motherfuckers. We love you guys. Become one of those people that uh, we couldn't do without. Instead of well, we couldn't do without any of you really, but we could even less do without the people who support. But that's enough of that. Enjoy this little hunting blurb. Hopefully, the audio is not too bad. Uh, it is recorded in the hotel on a laptop with a yeti with four people. And, uh, man, we trash that hotel room when it comes to, like, not in a, like, party sense, but in a having Gore hundreds sense. of pounds of raw meat in the bathtub and stuff like that. But we had good. We ate good. We definitely ate good. Yep. 
some nice fresh tenderloin and stuff like that. We had some steaks the first night. All right, guys, enjoy the little blurb. And then, of course, enjoy the chat with Dr. Shirley Chichu. Take four. Welcome back to America. A little bonus segment here. We're, uh, we don't know quite what we're going to do with this yet, but we're out hunting right now in Medicine Hat at the Suffield Air Base. We got Graham here, of course, and Miles and Chad are with us too. So we figured we'd record a little ditty to talk about our first day out on the base and how that went. While it's fresh. Well, it's fresh. Yeah. We had to get up super early in the morning. We left around 3.45 or 3.50 this morning to get out for orientation. Which took three hours. Probably could have taken 45 minutes. Yeah. Smooth as silk. Smooth yeah. as silk, yeah. So what do you guys think of... Uh, well, I mean, for my first impression of the actual operation, I mean, it, it was it was very interesting, right? Like, so this base, this huge base, like just for a little bit of context, it's this Canadian Forces base. It's it's like 60 53, kilo, 53 kilometers by 67 or something. Yeah, like by that. 67. I mean it's it's actually just a massive uh prairie. Pr- you know, 2300 square kilometers. Yeah, 30 that's 3500, you know, or square kilometers. Yeah. I mean and it's all like prairie and grasslands and rolling hills and there's a river there. But so I everyone mean, thinks the prairie's flat. Until they get out there. Exactly. It's 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 so a it's a trippy terrain. It's a trippy terrain. It's very strange. So anyways, they uh, they work with the environmental people or the animal. What what's what do you call them? Fish cops. The fish cops, because they're overrun by elk. So they have this hunting program every November. They get a whole bunch of hunters in there with tickets and tags, and they go through this whole orientation thing. And you got like two or three days to just go out on this base and just kill hunk kill. Kill elk. So the orientation. So there's a huge parking lot of trucks. Like there's about 150 trucks, maybe 150, 200 trucks, right? 140 hunters max. 140 hunters max. So they're all. We're all sitting in our trucks, listening to this FM station for this orientation, and it took three hours today. I mean, it was it was grueling. It was pretty grueling. Yeah. Three hours of FM. Someone and got arrested. It, someone yeah, got arrested for. Arrested. I mean, they're very serious about no alcohol, what, no what, weed. What did he get arrested for? Cannabis, smoking Cannabis. grass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, we were told in the orientation like multiple times on an Army like, Air Force base. Like, yeah, yeah, it was pretty. Come interesting. on, dude. I mean, that probably slowed things down by about twenty minutes or so. Probably. We took. And it was vapes. also six in the morning. We used vapes, there. so as not to doesn't stink. Doesn't stink, and technically might be okay. I don't see anything about cannabis vapes in the rules. <laughs> so yeah, interesting start, and, and then we go off uh, in the truck and start looking for elk, driving around, you know, with a map and trying to avoid other hunters or maybe just. I mean, it was it was a very interesting experience. We drove till about noon. I want to say yeah. Then he got and out and started and climbing hills day and looking, walking. And we then found we that one big shell. What's that? We found that one big shell too. Remember that big oh, shell? Like that an, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I found one too. Hey, like what's this? Yeah, I don't touch that. Stay away. <clears throat> and I found a couple like circles that were clearly like old explosions. Yeah. There's a few of those, wasn't there? That's cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a good time. We all walked. Oh, well, I did 20K almost, or in around, so we were all in around 15 to 20K. Yeah, at first we didn't think we'd be walking too much, we're driving around, and then all of a sudden you get out, and you and you just decide, like, hey, let's, 
we're going to take a look. We thought we saw an elk over here. Let's take a look over this, over this hill. And then it, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing over hill. that hill. There's a higher hill. So you walk a little further and you walk a little further. And all of a sudden you're like miles away from the truck. I mean, it's crazy the way yeah. it happens. I mean, it, it's so deceiving the landscape here. Deceiving, you know, you, that's you, the right you, word. you can hide behind a hill and be right near somebody. So there's elk can be right around the corner from you and you don't yeah. even know it. Because they're in these valleys and hills. There's valleys and, and ravines. Well, I must have and walked coolies right by. everywhere. Yeah. I must have walked right by that dozen elk. You didn't uh, walk right no, by. No, 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 no. I had like turned around and I was on my way no, back. No. Uh, or did I go a different yeah, route? Yeah, yeah. You, you were, they, they, were they were still coming up. So, I mean, the amazing, the best thing that happened, I think, today was, was we were driving around. So, we drove through that whole area that we, we were allowed to hunt in. So, we had a special card or a tag for the southern wildlife area yeah and we didn't really see any elk but on our way back from that these guys all spotted a herd of elk and i, I didn't see them but you guys were pretty sure there's a herd of elk yeah. up on the hill and we were trying to figure out what ravine Super it went over away. again yeah. so does it go over the far ravine or is yeah. it tucked into a ravine oh, what if it was in the ravine that you ended up shooting that elk in no, was that was a different that, yeah. one. Yeah. But it, it should have been. I mean, the second time around, it's hard to tell where the fuck you are or where you've been. But I think I, it looked to me like the first herd was mostly cows and a couple of bulls. Yeah. And the last herd was mostly bulls and a couple of cows. Yeah. The ones that ran past miles. The, one that, the ones that almost ran, ran right over yeah. miles. Ran, ran over, yeah. Like, so we, that was Graham's spot. Yeah. So we thought that we thought that we had to go f like, and we had to stay on the road. So we we went all the way, all the way past to the first road that we could actually turn on, to get past the this herd, and then we'd have to go way past where the herd would have turned, uh, you know, cut into you a ravine or over the hill or whatever, and then we had to cut back to try and figure out like where are they now, and then, <coughs> so we ended up. And there's five kilometers walking. in between those two roads. And there's yeah. five kilometers in between those two roads. So we we picked a, what did we do again? We picked a spot, and, and we started walking, and we and we were just scouting the whole area out, and then we ended up going a little bit further. And I was thinking, Darren, I was thinking this is where we have to go, like where you were walking. You, Darren was way ahead, and I was next, and you guys were kind of we were, we were way behind spotting. Scopes. Yeah, spotting yeah. using the spotting scopes. But I was thinking in my head, I'm like. This is Darren. Darren has. We have to keep going this further to catch them if they came this way, right? It's always further than you think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we walked and walked and walked and walked and I, and then I. I mean, I got to tell this part of the story because it's. I, I found this crystal, this quartz crystal, on top of this this rolling hill, and I pick it up and I wash it off and I'm like, and I can't remember if that's How'd before you wash I. It off? Just on my on my pants. Oh. So it was pretty big, like it's a few inches by a few Did you inches. Keep it? It was yeah, I kept it. I'm not, I know. Don't say anything. I mean, maybe it was programmed by the base and it's a trap or something. I'm we'll edit that out. I'm gonna get Graham's gonna get arrested in orientation yeah. for stealing a crystal from the hill. But Take it down. but I was thinking like the, that was, I was the power crystal, power in the whole thing. I said a little bit of a prayer to the Great Spirit. I was like. Help us, uh, or you know, or allow us to sustain ourselves for the winter by shooting this elk. And there's, a, you know, there's too many of them anyways. Or I said some sort of weird prayer, and then I was in this in this sort of uh, area where I was falling. Darren was probably about 500 yards away from me, and and I was on this sort of long sloping hill, and I thought I saw an elk on the hill running, and it was running, and I was trying to get Darren's attention a lot. But I guess supposedly it was yelling. a mule. Yeah, was yeah. it a? I was yelling. Yeah, I was yelling. <laughs> 
How you held it a little bit? I mean, you had to. Like, how, we got to we got to get better at our. We need a better system. We need a better system. But right. anyways, it was like Nam. They were spotting, and so, but I guess it wasn't. Was it not a? Well, one of them was the first one was a deer. The lone one was a yeah. deer. You sure? Eh? You yeah. sure? Because it was huge. I thought it was. I thought it might have been a, the, the back deer is big too. Yeah. Anyways, then I spotted like literally a row of racks coming up the hill. Like that's the way I first spotted it. Was there's all these racks. That's probably what scared the deer. Well, that's that's why. Yeah, that's why I thought. I thought it was actually like a, an elk scout or something like that. But, but anyways, then all of a sudden the heads come up and the body and there's like 12, 12 of them. These tw- I'm k- tr- trying to count them and I'm fuck, I'm like waving at these guys, like yelling. trying to get yelling. <laughs> I'm like, because I, I didn't know you knew that they were there. I thought you saw one and I'm like, Darren, it's the whole herd. I'm just yelling, it's the whole herd. And they're staring at me. I'm like, fu- I'm, how, how far was I? 300 yards, you 500 were probably yards. five or 400 probably yards. 400 yards away they were all and they just stopped standing there staring at me so then i sensed that i got darren's attention i was trying to get the other guy's attention so that they would go around miles would go around and catch like sort of envelop them envelop and I we weren't it. ready like we weren't ready because we thought we were just scouting actually right didn't we yeah well, this time, right? I only we only had four you had bullets. Five, yeah, because yeah, yeah, so, you, you kind of think, well, we're going to go look over this ledge and over this hill, and then you end up just going and going and going and, and forgetting that pack. you should have got fully ready for, uh, for a I kill. I didn't have my bipod. I didn't have oh. my range finder. I literally oh. only had my rifle. And Miles didn't have his gun out at the time either. So My gun had its trigger lock on. It was still <laughs> zipped up. It was unloaded. Like I was just wandering around out there. Elk ran by you, fingering around. you on the way. There was a rock there I was trying to sneak up to, and I was going to shoot off it. How close did you make it to running. that? I was I probably heard. like 175 yards out. No, how close to the rock did you make it? 10 yards when oh, they started running. I was looking at those And then all I can there. do is sit down or like yeah. go down on one knee and try and, but it's a tough shot. It's yeah. still a tough shot. So, I mean, I had the fucking amazing vantage point where I was watching Darren sneak up to them on the left and watching Miles go around the other side. And, I heard and, him shoot. That's what made me turn around. Yeah. Originally. I shot over. Then realized, oh shit, I'm not ready here. And then all these elk are coming towards me. Yeah. They were, so might have been closer than I thought because I shot over the back. Yeah. Anyways, we missed we missed the, that that herd. I mean, they got away somehow, and we tried we tried to chase them down. I scared them away. I was right below a uh, a ridge where they couldn't see me, and I popped my head up, and they all they one saw me, and then boom, they all. Because <laughs> I was up. watching them go to go 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 straight going straight towards Miles. I was all. Except like they're gonna walk right up to Miles. Oh yeah, because I came running up the hill and I could see Miles here and the elk here. I thought you were gonna massacre him. Yeah. I couldn't get a I couldn't get a shot. As soon as I popped my head up, they saw me and started. They went right around me and then up the ridge. I was too far. I was like three fifty at that point to be sailing shots over the road and. But it was good. Yeah. And then we went for another giant walk. So was it right after that, Ed, that we went? Well, we went down because we were we trying to track them. Cows. Mm-hmm. The one That's had what originally looking at. Yeah, the one had split off, and we weren't sure if it was because it had got if I, one of us had hit it. So we went to see if we could find it, and we couldn't. He was like a junior kind of no rack, yeah. and he was trailing way behind the herd, and and I guess he got separated from him. Yeah, but he was fine. So mm-hmm. and then we turned around. And then we just went past all those other vehicles and pulled over again because these guys thought they had seen those cows there. 
And by this time, push. by this time, it's it's like we've probably been like 10, 15 kilometers in the in the grasslands. I'm exhausted. Like I got I got stuck going up and down a couple of ravines that I didn't know were there because you can't even see them. Yeah. I thought there was yeah. one. I went. I was like. Maybe the 500 or 1,000 yards north of or south of you, Darren. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to you know, check out this whole scenery over here because you can't see it from there. And the next thing you know, there's three ravines between us. And then you're left with a decision. And I can hardly make it out. I just Walk go down. all the way around flat or go up and down and I up and down. I just go down and up and, and up, down. man, every time. Down and up. You just run. No, I know. Run down. You run down and you use that momentum to get up the other side. But you're not like as out of shape as I am right now. So I may, I I barely, I mean, I caught up to these two and I was exhausted. I mean, I can't. You almost didn't make it out. That was way before. I mean, that was fucking (laughs) five or seven kilometers before the end. Might have been 10. Oh, I thought, I thought I can't do this. Almost had to pack us up. I'm not going to make it. Well, Well, that was you. You walked way more than. Way more than we did. No, we were just we would stop and watch you. Okay, he's going over there, so we'd kind of like veer over that way instead of like doing Darren's entire line. Right? We're just okay. We're but when I but when I talked when I met up with you guys, he was trying to keep up, but he's just every time I look back, he was further and further back, and then one time I look back, he was just gone. (laughs) That's probably when I was down the ravine trying to trudge my way out. Oh yeah. But then when I met up with you guys, you guys had seen this mega herd. Yeah, but it must have been two hundred of them. Wow! Far, far away though. Because yeah. that's that's scope you're looking through is like you can see. I saw. Yeah, miles, I was like, right? yeah, I saw. Yeah. I saw this black patch, and I was like, "What the hell?" Get the scope out and look at it. I was like, holy shit! There's the mega herd. So my take in the prairies is it's just all in miles, man. You guys got to travel. Yeah, they could always be over the next hill. You can't really wait for them out there. Yeah, it's yeah. not like you watching a clearing in the you, you woods. Think you think you can see, but you can't see. But they could be fucking right over the next hill. So even when we were driving around, I noticed that that if I look back, I could see a different scope of the ravines between yeah. the hills. And sure enough, just wandering around, wandering around, and bam, there's a fucking elk down in the coulee. And that's how you've caught that one? Well, I, I see I didn't see I didn't expect him to be there. I was on my way to someplace else because I actually seen a couple antelope up by this, the, the, whatever they're called, the oil thing. And, um, so I was like, well, maybe the fucking elk are up by those antelope. We see them kind of close together before. So I was heading up to go over that hill. And fucking <clears throat> the coolies have all the side forks off them. So it's like, you know, down fucking a 60-foot hill and then up a 60-foot hill. And I was like kind of sick of doing that. So I was kind of going so I could just go down like 20 into, yeah, the, into yeah. the swells. And I was going around there, and just out of the corner of my eye, I seen a fucking big, not a big one, but a decent size. Well, it was he's... a five by five, five, ten point bull elk down there. And I didn't think he'd see me, so I just dropped because I wasn't prepared. My gun was strapped on my back. And so I dropped, waited, got my shooting stick out, got my gun over my shoulder. And then by the time I looked, he was running around the corner of the, at the bottom of the coulee. Like he went back down, kind of. He, yeah, he yeah. was kind of up in the swell, and then yeah. he ran down into the deep part of and it. turned around and, and went out of sight around the corner. Yeah, heading east. So then I went, ran down into the swell, came up the other side, and I can't see nothing down in there, but there's only like two ways out, and you know he's coming out. And if he doesn't come out in a couple minutes, 
then I'll just creep over this hill and he's down in there. Like there's no other way out or he's going to come back where I can see him this way. And sure enough, he came out the far thing, came running out that way. And I got a shot at him running and hit him in the leg. So then he stopped running. Like I fucked his leg up and he stopped running. And then I got another shot at him and he fucking ran off. I know, but he was standing there like, uh, we were watching. I was like watching this now. Well, from, I thought he was going to go down. We, we finally caught up to you a little bit, and and he's standing in. I don't know, like just on this, on the the top of the hill in a way. And I thought, what's he doing, standing there like that? I thought he was going to go down, and then he bolted, and then he bolted yeah. with three with legs. Three legs. On I mean, only three oh, legs. That poor thing. Like his one leg was just dangling there. Well, then I couldn't find him. So then I ran, find him, and it was just a miracle. So this is a weird thing. Like, I ran over to that other spot, and I'm like, he's probably only heading downhill. So I headed over to that other coolie off to the left. I mean, it's just coolies all over the place. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, you'd think you could fucking, in a prairie, you could find anything. You could hide a dump truck any place out there, and you won't find it. I could hide a dump truck out there. It would take you guys three years to find the fucking thing. Unless you have error. Yeah, if you, if get you up, have a, get up high, if you, you had a anything, drone right? or a plane, you'd find everything right away. But when you're on foot or on a truck, it's oh, the it's perspective changes. Like impossible. every 10, 20 feet, the perspective changes. So I ran over to that other coolie, and of course, I don't have my binoculars this time <laughs> or, my or my knife because I've left it with Chad again, oh. and because uh, we weren't going to separate. But here we are separated. I get going, man. When I'm, when I'm going, I'm gone. It's best if I just have all my stuff on me. And, uh, so I was there looking around and I was like, he's fucking gone. I mean, I don't know where the fuck he went, but, and then there was like a bunch of blood too. And I was like, I don't know how the fuck this thing got away. Um, so I was looking around that other coolie and I like was looking for probably a minute, maybe almost two minutes. Like, where could he have gone? Should I go back this way? Should I go that way? And then right up at the top of the coulee where I've kind of walked past, but I was over on the other side of a ridge, so he might not have seen me. It just, I wasn't even sure if it was him. It just looked like a brown and black patch. And I was like, fuck, that might be him. And the second I, like, thought in my awareness that after I've been standing here for fucking two minutes, as soon as I thought in my awareness that might be him, fucking, he gets up. And I'm looking at him and I'm using my rifle scope because I don't have the binoculars on me to see if it's him or not. And then, so maybe he's seen me lift the gun up, and but I don't think they're that smart. You know what I mean? It really seemed to me like the second I was like, there he is, he was like, oh, fuck, he sees me. <laughs> yeah. And fucking, I'm just thinking it. I, maybe I shouldn't have thought it. But anyway, I seen him, and then he gets up, and he fucking runs. And I try and take a shot at him while he's running. I think I hit him that time, too, because when I found him, finally, he'd been shot in the neck, and he was full of blood. Yeah. Um, I don't know how the fuck he ran three kilometers two miles full mm-hmm. of blood but he did and it was just a miracle that if because then i chased a deer you guys thought he went one way and then i was so i was going on your guys because you're watching advice. this from like a kilometer or two away and you can't tell yeah they just go they just disappear over a ridge yeah. and you're like and i'm like right four or five hundred yards behind him chasing him and you guys were up on the hill so i'm like phoning graham and texting graham where'd he go where'd he go so you guys thought he went the one way and I got into that valley and everywhere I looked at you guys thought he went was uphill and not just like a little hill, like a significant right. 30 degree hill. And I was like, there's no way I actually seen some antlers, but there's so many sheds everywhere. So I walked over to a set of antlers beside a rock. Cause I was like, Oh, he's down. Here he is. Fuck, not him. 
And then just out of the corner of my eye, more antelope ran by. And out of the corner of my eye, I see a brown thing run past over. And I was like, fuck, that must have been him. And that's when I texted you. I was like, I think I see him. I think he's over this way. So I ran back that way, ran around, ran over, like running now. I'm running because I don't want this fucking thing to get away. He's missing a leg. It's my responsibility. And then I got over there, got over in the coolie, and I could see it going down. And I get the scope on it, and it's a fucking mule deer. And you can see it's hopping. Ding, ding, ding. So at that point, I both gave up. And I was heading back to find you guys. And I was going to go around the long sort of inside way. What I, where I thought the road was close to, clearly it was No, not. there was a whole other ravine in the way there. A whole other set... I still think we could have maybe kept coming down that road further. It's hard to know. It's that hard to know. And when keeps going. It's getting That's dark. Graham said that the, the coolie just keeps on going. Yeah, he there. walked way down there looking and he's like, I don't know. I so don't want to keep no you so You don't know where you are. You've been running around. Who knows that uh, coolie's going around turning you the wrong way. So at that right? point, I text you and I was like, I think you guys are right. He must have went that way. I think I've been chasing a deer. And I just happened to, I was walking along the edge of the coulee, the, another coulee, the third coulee now. Actually, it was a fork of the one I've seen the mule deer go into. And uh, I've seen some blood down there. So I'm like, I'll fucking go back and check around this corner one more time. Because like, you could very see, from the top of the hill, you could see blood in the grass. And uh, I went over and looked, but there was just a little hill there. And then as soon as I went around that corner and peeked down, he was there. And he was pretty slow moving by that time. I Like, I could have probably waited, but I was sick of fucking... I didn't want him to run again. I had already thought I had lost him a couple of times. So then I just put him down. Um, right at the bottom of a ravine. That was the he, shitty thing, but I was like... I, I thought of it. Because no, I've no, pulled things out no. of coolies before, and it sucks. It's no fun. And uh, But I'm looking, and he's headed just deeper down the coolie. So I'm like, well, I, I feel like it's fucking... Now, now or never. Now or never. So I just shot him there, took out his lungs. And uh, so he took a neck shot and a fucking took devastating out a leg, leg shot, shot, a devastating leg shot, and finally went down with a lung shot. And uh, then, of course, where are we? Where's the road? Where's the truck? Where's the truck? Where's the road that the truck's on? So then we got to make the decision to uh, send someone back to the truck. Graham or Chad, we're going to go. In retrospect, I, I, like I was saying, I'm glad Chad went. Oh, I don't know if I could have made it. Maybe I underestimated your wilderness no. abilities, but I was really <laughs> concerned that you just like... My would, stamina was at risk. Yeah, you, you, not my you're, wilderness. You're done. Yeah. So you think like from a... From a from a, uh, oh, an orientation, orientation perspective? Oh, yeah, perspective no you could have yeah. got there. Yeah, I feel like I got a pretty good handle on where we're at and where things are. Yeah, because you can get turned around pretty quick. Yeah. And, but the well, sun setting, that helps. Yeah. But it doesn't really help because you're dealing with an elk and the fucking sun setting. And it's like new moon right now. New moon, dark sky. So, I mean, me and Chad were driving back and it got dark. We were like, and we had to be back at a certain time by yeah, six o'clock. Right. To, you have to go through this whole exiting process. Like they, search, they search your truck on the way in. They search your truck on the way out. Cops are there to do it. They have like all the the army personnel, or I, I keep saying army, but it's the Canadian Face Forces yeah. personnel. I don't know what yeah. like department they belong in or whatever. I guess it, maybe it is army. Probably you wouldn't want to be out there if it got dark. No. Yeah. So I we had a call. Tonight, so no. I I called them a couple times, tell them, hey, we're gonna we're running late. That's what they asked us to do if we're running late, and they're totally supportive. I mean, they're very uh, amenable to all the all our needs. Yeah, right? they're pretty good. 
And that was that. So then, but we, I mean, then the, we had to haul it all. Then up. we so had, had to haul, haul it up. up the ravine, out of the ravine. What do you think that was? Two k. Back to the. When yeah, I yeah. scoped you, you're fourteen hundred yards. Oh, where I parked the truck when I went to go get it. Initially. No, when when I first seen you, when I was on top of the oh, yeah. fucking oil fucking yeah. head waving at you. Yeah, that was. When I scoped you, then you were fourteen hundred yards. Oh, he was almost there at that point. It's, I figure it was halfway. No, no about halfway. Not even. Because he was still on the far side of that coulee we went around. Because he did, he just came, went down and came up. That's the where other I parked the truck, and then I had to go for another two miles back to where it was parked on the road. It was probably. I'm back. guessing it was two, two and a half k. Back. And I couldn't even oh. keep up to you guys with your 500 pounds of meat on the cart. <laughs> you guys were pushing and pulling a cart. I mean, I helped a little bit, but I couldn't help. I mean, I was. I couldn't even keep up with you guys. Mm. I mean, I, I just about didn't make it out. I mean, I man, ran ahead. After all that, I ran ahead to get the truck so I could pull it up and head them. Yeah, off. I couldn't do. It. I couldn't do. It. And then ran up the hill to take. I don't it even the know last how. I, I don't know what's going to happen now. I mean, I'm, I'm like a. I feel like a brick. Like I'm just stuck. Well, I mean, right everything now, everything is sore. Everything, my legs, my right head, now it's my ten back. after eleven. Maybe the hotel yeah, has a massage for, person. We're gonna eat some potatoes and go to bed and get up in about fucking six and a half hours and go do it all again. Yeah. I'm going to take this one to the butcher in the morning and then meet you guys out there. Yeah, I have a plan. Drive. No walking. Take the 4x4 four four tracks. Go to the whole open area and use the 4x4 four four tracks. If you can get up onto hills, I can oversee things. And then you're willing to walk. That's the thing. You're only allowed on the 4x4 four four tracks if you're going to pick Extract. up. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? You're not allowed to hunt from them? No, hunting is walking, dude. It's not okay, but even <laughs> still, even still. we say, Truck hunting is great. But we it's really two, we saved two kilometers of or it's mule deer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. elk don't or hang we, around. Or we saved two kilometers of you know ripping it back to the truck if we can use those four by four. That would make especially, a big especially if yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say, like in the end, I was like, fuck, I should have just told him to drive the fucking truck over here, but they'd bust you. Oh, for sure. You'd so yeah, you're not allowed down. on. You're only allowed on certain roads, like the main sort of dirt roads, which are awesome dirt roads, but you can't take the. There's all of course there's all these four by four trails. That the army has, but you're not allowed to go off those just in, the in certain areas in the area that we were in. You're not allowed to use those. Kind of so. Anyways, it was quite the experience. Yeah, it was we came awesome back day. and cleaned up a bunch of the the meat, meat in the hotel bathtub yep. and What's fried it? up some steaks. Crime scene. Oh. Yeah. Now we're gonna have some we're potatoes some and go potatoes to bed. and shut her down. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Maybe we'll do this again tomorrow. We'll see how tomorrow goes. Dr. Shirley Chichu, thanks for joining us. How are you? 
I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to great to talk to you. It's an important uh, year this year, a 20th uh, anniversary, right, of your film uh, film festival. Yeah, 20, 20th anniversary of the Wingash Film Institute. The festival is only like three years old. Right. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's good. Let's talk about that a little bit and about uh, your journey through, uh, you know, through uh, approaching some of these topics through film. Okay. You're a residential school warrior yourself, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which school do you go to? I went to several schools. I didn't just go to one school. I went to four of them. Wow. Was there, did you notice like, was there a big difference between the different? Were they, were they sort of like, was it a top down sort of management style or was each school uh, its own experience? I think each school was its own experience, but they seem to have the same rules and that uh, went with each one of them. So just so our audience can catch up, we're, we're doing another show about uh, residential schools and stuff like that, all the atrocities that were taking place um, from the government and, of course, the church over the years. And we've got Dr. Shirley Chichu here. Um, can you, so which schools, What uh, we don't have to say exactly which schools, but what maybe what province, were they all in the same province and what, what the time frame are we talking about? Well, um, I would say, that, I mean, they're all in the same province, you know, in time frame, you know, probably from time I was seven to, you know, until 13, maybe 14. And is this six, yeah, 60s? Hello. Hello. Uh, would that have been in the, like the 1960s or? Yeah, it would be in the 60s. Probably all in the 60s. What was your experience like in in the schools? Was it was it uh, was there any positive experience as well as negative? Or? Um, my experience at the residential schools wasn't very positive. I um, I was very um, abused in many ways. And in all the schools that I went to, and that's—I mean—that's kind of what we hear is pretty ubiquitous. I mean, it's kind of troubling to hear because the '60s is sort of the tail end of of mandatory attendance. Things start to start to swing in the '70s, but I mean, it's kind of troubling to hear that all that abuse is is still going on just like 60 years ago. You know, they the government tries to play it off like it was all before and it sort of got better as it went on but I mean in the 60s obviously it was still super prevalent yeah well do you know the the abuse of um, indigenous people in general has never stopped and it's still going on today you know so 
I mean, being being governed by, you know, to like the federal government and the provincial government, you know, people don't seem to understand that Native people are governed more than any other citizen in Canada. And, and, and people think that we have a lot of rights. We don't have any rights, you know. We're awards of the, uh, the Queen, you know. We're looked at in the Indian Act as non-civilized people. You know, and that Indian act, you know, is is here today. So it it never really stopped. The abuse of indigenous people have not haven't stopped at all. It goes way beyond and before the residential schools. It started way back then, and we still live it today. What I've experienced in residential schools, why I call myself a warrior, is because I have to live with this every day. I'm reminded of it every day. You know, so if I if I'm able to 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 live and move forward in my life, I have to be a warrior. And the reason why I say warriors too is that everybody that didn't go to residential school are saying, you know, they're victims of the residential school. You know, they call and when we call the residential school people, residential school survivors, it it's not uh, it's not empowering to our young people. But if you call these people residential school warriors, it empowers our young people. It gives them something to fight for. The other way, it's very negative. It create creates all dysfunctional families in the community. What do you think the the biggest change has been from from now to when you were first starting this 20 years ago? I mean, I'm only 40 myself. I was sort of coming of age 20 years ago. I mean, when I was 20, I didn't know a single thing about this. This is all stuff I've learned in the last couple of years myself, um, being uh, Mishkegogamming. Uh, First Nation, but, you know, there there was no sort of oral history for me to learn it from. I was separated from my father. Um, and there was nothing in the school system, um, whereas now at least my kids are learning about a little bit, enough to ask a couple of questions at least. I mean, I don't always have the answers. But I'm wondering, like, 20 years ago, it must have been in a lot of ways like beating your head against the wall. Well, you know, being an artist myself, you know, I, I've worked towards truth and reconciliation in all my work um, and trying to tell the stories without having to blame anybody so that people would actually listen to what I have to say. But there are those roadblocks that we still we had in those days that are that are really going to change right now is that they kept blocking our voices. I I, I did a story where I was telling a um, a story about my family where where um, I was told that I had to change it in order for the white audience to understand so the white audience can believe what I'm saying, you know. So those kind of things is what made me you know, stop telling my stories in films and stop telling my stories and and saying, you know, the if I can't tell my stories now, then I have to create something that 
that these voices are going to grow and that that was from our young people. That is why I started Wingushin Film Institute, so that these people, the younger ones, had a voice because people were, were breaking down all those bridges. You know, people like um, Alanis Abomswin, you know, the, you know, people like that, they were breaking down the, those, those bridges that were actually, you know, um, they were broken. You know, and they were they were mending these bridges so that so that our young people would have voices today. And my work, I felt, was with with the young people. I never had resources growing up. I grew up in residential school and had everything taken away from me. And so, the only way that I could help with the truth and reconciliation is to help these young voices have a voice so that people can hear and see their work. And now it's growing into a festival. It must be, how many people now are like, um, how many people are actively in the Institute and making films? How many films have you guys released? We don't release that films, and this is what other people uh, don't understand about the Film Institute. If I created the Film Institute, Using film as a tool, there are so many people out there that are dropouts, that are high risk, and and in their own welfare, and they're trying to change change their careers, you know, and they're on drugs and alcohol. These are the people that I that I that I um, wanted to reach, and the only way that I could do it, from all my experience, was that the arts is the way. To get to, get to these people, and so I used film as a tool to teach them how to read, write, do math, you know, um, budgeting, you know, leadership skills, communication skills, everything that you need to have a, a strong lifestyle is through film. You learn all those skills making a film. And so that's what I understood about film, and that is what I wanted the young people to to have when they come to my school. And a lot of them come and say, oh, I'm going to make a film. But by the time they leave, they have a resume with eight films on, uh, on their back. And they also understand all of a sudden that, you know, they have all these skills. And a lot of them would come, they don't know how to read, they don't know how to write. But when they go out those doors, they know how to read and write. You know, so that's why I used film. And then I noticed that you know these films were really actually quite interesting and 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 really well done. And I thought, you know, these films need to be seen. And that's why I started Wingashka International Film Festival, so that these films that these young people are making can be seen. And we have a program every year for them. When you mentioned when you mentioned the abuse that's still happening now, like the even today, you know, what what, what does that look like um, for people that don't know that it's still happening? You know, well, you know, people people need to um, understand where we're actually coming from, and one of one of the courses that I created for Adwingash is an online course called Indigenous Governance. 
if you don't know anything about my people, you need to take this course. You know, it takes you back to the history and also explains everything about the Indian Act, about how people are governed in in the reserves, and you'd be shocked. You'd be really shocked. Yeah, and that's still happening today. It's happening today, yeah. And and where people are fighting to make changes. But, you know, like, how many years have we been fighting and we still have a hard time people listening to us? Have you noticed a big change in the last 20 years, though, with the work you've done and and, uh, the TRC coming out? You know, you think that you know, you think that you make an impact sometimes, you know, when you when you do these these things. Like my first show that I did called um, Patrick No Moccasins, it was a one woman show where, you know, I've done maybe three hundred performances around the world with this and people were just like really shocked of the, the story that I was telling. And it, it was an autobiography. You know, and it, it was very shocking to them. But even that just seemed to have gone away. You know, once once you've done your performances, it goes away. So it never really reached, you know, the, the schools. It didn't reach, like, other people that should have been reached with that play. You know, and, and I'm not talking just about my play. There are other people who have written stuff about residential schools that that never really, you know, went beyond of what what they what they created. They created an installation that lasted maybe a month, and then it's gone. You know, so those things never really get the press that they really need. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's sort of that's sort of my problem with like the apologies. Is is it? It just sort of makes it seem like water under the bridge in some ways, but I, I, I suppose in other ways it maybe cements it in history so that it can't be overwashed too much as we move forward. But I mean, it's definitely, that is the con- the concern, right? Is that it's just um, even now this year with the graves and stuff that have been found that it's just like, Social media has sort of made it all so cheap, you know, that it can all just sort of wash over and next month or next year, everyone's sort of talking about something else. Yeah, well, you know, when, when, when the apologies happened and then, and then there were going to be these settlements that were going to happen, I had the worst, worst settlement experience ever, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm in my 60s. There are people that are older than me. Did they go through the same experience that I did? Because I really thought, what a horrible way to treat treat our elders that that have all these stories to tell. And if they were treated the same way I was, I don't wish that on anybody. Do you mean the actual process of getting the settlement from the government? Yeah, when I went to court, when I went to the, uh, whatever they called it, um, I was there, you know, with my lawyer and a couple of, of, you know, people, my supporters, and there was a lady who was asking all the questions, and then there was Indian Affairs that was there, 
But, you know, I was told by my lawyer, who I only talked to the, the night before my, my hearing, I was told by him that I would have all day to, to tell my story. And when I got to, to, the, to the thing, I, I was given maybe about two, two to three hours to tell my story because she kept rushing me and telling me that she had to go to another, another city to go do another one of these, one of these hearings. And I didn't really get to tell my story. But the way, I mean, the way I was treated was awful. And that's... It was something that I would never wish on anybody to experience because I had to re-experience a lot of what I, what I already told them in, 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 in my paperwork that I had to hand in. I had to re-experience everything, but I wasn't able to get to where I really needed to go with my story. They cut me off. And I'd imagine that'd be worse for someone 15 or 20 years older you with maybe not as good of a grasp on English. Yeah, it was, I, I said, if the elders were treated like this, you know, I don't know if they were, but if I was treated this way, I can imagine what it, what it was for the older people. Do you look at some so of those... I, Settlements and apologies is just being like um, hush money, I guess, in some ways. It's like now they can say it's dealt with. Um, because I know that's one of the big things. Even when I was researching the stuff on the 60s scoop, like I think it was like the law firms got $19.75 million each. And then the average settlement was for for a 60s scoop. Um, Survivor was like seventeen thousand or something like that. Yeah, I think the lawyers made a lot of money on the on these settlements, you know. And and I and I I totally disagree with the way they treated us. I think that we should we should have been able to be given a chance to tell our stories what the way we wanted to tell them, and not be forced to tell some things that were very, really, really hurtful and, and, and God give us the, you know, give us the chance not to be able to relive it again. You know, why, why did we have to relive all this stuff? You know, and, and also, you know, like, why didn't they just settle with everybody the same amount? You know, they did it with the um, Japanese people, you know, and they all got $250,000 or some, something like that. They all did, no matter what experience you had. Why didn't Canada treat the Indian people the same way? Well, yeah. Like if you, had a little, you know, if you had a little cut on your finger, you know, you were given $100,000. But if you didn't have a cut on your body, you were given maybe twenty. you know. It doesn't make sense. How it was all judged. Do you think, um, do you think that we'll see an end to the Indian Act in the next, like, I guess in, in your lifetime, probably another, in the next 20 years, like, do you think you're, you've been at it for, for, for a few decades? Um, 
Do you think there's any chance at getting rid of this legislation? And what does that even look like with the current system, the way the current government system is set up? Where the, there's no real, I mean, and you probably know better than me, but there's not a real, a real good unified sort of push. Well, I, I, I think that you, that there's going to be, you know, it's still going to be a lot of struggle within the next 20 years about the Indian Act. I don't think it's, it's you know, even, you know, people don't want to deal with it. The government doesn't want to deal with it. They keep putting it off. So I, I, I'm not a politician, so I don't really... You know, know, you know, how long this process is going to take. I don't even think it's going to happen in my lifetime. You know, I'm having troubles just, you know, this whole thing about, you know, 50-50. You know, people that are married, you know, get 50-50. That doesn't happen under reserve. Oh, you mean like so? If there's a divorce or something like that? Yeah, people don't get fifty-fifty. The women always lose out. And yeah, that's problem with it's. It's sort of. I just had my buddy Kyle here. He's a Mohawk from Ganawage, and he was sort of talking about. I mean, out east, um, Quebec. It's sort of that same thing. He's. He's part of the economic development team, and he was saying we were talking about it the one night, and he figures that it's it's upwards of fifty percent of the kids on reserve are growing up with no with no father presence and or no father figure and no support. No, you know you uh, when when you filed something with the um, you know. The government and you, you know, you file your will. You have to file your will with Indian Affairs. You know, you can't file it with a lawyer. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, give us any kind of rights. But the lawyer files it for you. You have to file it with Indian Affairs. And even with that, you know, people wait years and years and years before Indian Affairs deals with their wills. You know, so I mean, there's a lot of things that Indian people are going through that people do not know. I know I'm fighting with and the. That is, that, that's the reason why I started this this program online. You know, indigenous uh, indigenous governance, so that people would, you know, hopefully people would take the course and learn about my people. <laughs> Yeah, I'm fighting with Indian Affairs right now to try and, um, well, for my daughter's for my daughter's citizenship, I guess right now because the way it's set up in Canada is the federal government sort of decides who's a member of a nation and who's not. Mm-hmm. And that's probably about two years running. Two years running. I mean, I've just handed it off handed it off to my band to take it the rest of the way now because I kind of ran into a brick wall by myself. 
If you could send, I guess, if you could send one message out to our listeners now, um, kind of, wh- where can they get that course? What's the URL? It's a Indigenous Governance. It's on it's at Wingash uh, Film Institute website. Oh yeah, we'll make sure we link to that in the show notes so our so our audience can go and and check that stuff out. Um so I mean our audience is obviously is mostly US. Um there's quite a few Canadians there, but it's mostly US, but it's kind of a unique time right now where the entire world for the first time um you know, I've got people from all over the world right now sort of asking me questions about the indigenous experience in Canada because everyone sort of thought everything was hunky dory. And, you know, we've had a few things blow up this year on the international scene and all of a sudden the the rest of the world is paying attention. Um, have you noticed anything from that global attention? And do you think, you know, is that, does that, is there anything that can be capitalized on or do you have any sort of message for that global audience? Well, I mean, with the global audience, I think that, you know, um, the people that really miss out on a lot of things uh, that, you know, that um, people need to really um, pay attention to are the grassroots people. They're the ones that get missed out and on on things that happen worldwide. So, they, you know, people that are trying to get more information will go to urban urban um, organizations to get information. When a lot of the stuff that that really the the real lifestyle of people are actually in the communities. You know, and, and and that was another reason why I I chose to live on the reserve, is because I needed I needed people to understand that you can do things even when you're on the reserve you can still do things. You know, I started on the Fatimajik Theater Group. You know, when I was very young, you know, and was maybe 26 years old when I started the West Bay Children's Theater to introduce theater to the community here. Now on the island, and then I and then I it, it grew into the Bajamujik Theater Group, or is an international you know theater group now known all over the world. And when 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 that was successful, I moved on to doing the Wingash Film Institute, where you know you you just have to keep going, let people know it doesn't just stop one place. You just keep going and going, you know, until you know people start to recognize what you're doing and the people in your community know that they can actually have something to do, have, have some place to go with, with their lives. You know, there's a lot of people in the, in the, in the community that feel like they're stuck. And, and this is where people need to put their energy towards, you know, helping those people, the grassroots people are the people that need help. We don't have clean water in a lot of our communities. People have to drive hours and hours to get clean water in Quebec. You know, so, you know, like, 
those are the places that need the resources to, to you know, make a brighter future for our young people. How much of how much of a difference have you seen? Because I kind of look at the internet and how mm-hmm. how powerful it is and the speeds now and how small it's made the world. And I often wonder because I grew up <coughs> opposite. I've I've been off reserve my whole life. I was born off reserve and I've I've lived off reserve my entire time. I've been talking to my chief recently about maybe going back for a visit next year whenever COVID finally gets out of the way. Um, Mm -hmm. But how much, so I I often wonder if the internet is more of a help or a hindrance and because in some ways it opens up the world in a lot of ways, but on the other hand, it can, I mean, social media is fucking destroying everybody's lives already because we have this problem of, of looking at how much greener the grass is on the other side and the people on the other side never post, seem to post their shitty pictures. So, you know, we've got this, everyone's got this false thing going and I'm wondering if the people on the reserve, if that, if that makes it seem they're like they're more trapped or if the internet is opening it up in some ways. Well, you know, it's either or, but my, with my experience, a lot of people on the reserve don't have internet. They can't afford internet. They don't have computers. You know, there's a lot of schools you know, that are supposed to be online. There's kids that don't even have computers or internet to have their online courses. You know, so it, it, it's either or. And then there's people who are, you know, on their cell phones all the time. You know, but it's... It's it's not a win situation for them, you know. Even my school doesn't even have high speed, you know. And we're to, and we're trying to to do all this work with you know putting our work out there and everything. We don't have a, we don't have a high speed internet at the school. When somebody's on Zoom, everybody's kind of like off the line. Yeah, man. And so I guess, have you done much changing? Because one thing I noticed is that in the West, especially now that I'm out in Alberta, is there seems to be giant discrepancies sometimes between, you know, like, for example, Susina out here is killing it. You know, they seem to have a really good thing going up. They've got, I know a bunch of that's because the ring road went through there. They're on the corner of a city. So they've kind of got a geo advantage there. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering like how much of a difference is this from, from reserve to reserve and would it, would, would there be any value in sort of, uh, um, a conglomerate, you know, if like all the reserves had some, uh, more of an affiliation instead of being set, set up as separate entities. Um, but I think, uh, you know, some, some have it good and some have it bad. That's all. And that seems to be purely on like a geological basis, luck of the draw. Were you some were you someplace where there was some resources or something else? Yeah. And you know, like we we have a hard time even getting funding, you know, just to keep our programs going. You know, and and we're Wingash is in, 
in a warehouse, you know, and it's freezing in the wintertime, you know, but those kids keep coming, you know, and we're trying to build a new school, but, you know, it's it's hard to build a new school and when you don't get the support that you need. But I think that, you know, the government still thinks that we're incompetent of doing, you know, good things. Is that is that still where most of that funding is coming from right now, or is there any other channels? Uh, all my all my funding. The reason why I think I survived is, you know, from from people supporting me, like the foundation and the corporation. Those are the people that are are supporting me. I have a hard time getting money from the government. So it is. It's mostly the private sector that steps up. Yeah, the private private people are the ones that that actually help me out a lot. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, that's kind of I, when I finished my book. That was sort of my takeaway on it: is that you know, if we're going to wait for the government to do anything, it's sort of never going to happen, and it's going to have to be like you said a few times: the grassroots, where the people just figure it out, want to do better, start asking questions, and a lot of long, hard mm-hmm. conversations. Yeah. Without getting triggered. I mean, I think that's the hardest thing. I mean, even nowadays when you try to talk to some Canadians about things is, is it's like you were talking about, you have to do it without any blame because as soon as they start to feel a little bit blamed, you know, the, the guards come up right away and it's like, Oh, I wasn't, it was the church. It was this. And I'm not saying you did anything. You know what I mean? I'm just saying it happened. Yeah. Well, Shirley, before uh, we wrap it up, do you have any social media accounts or anything other than the Film Institute website where people can come and check out what you're doing or make a donation or anything like that? Well, they can they can donate to the uh, wingushcom You know, that just making a donation there is really helpful because a lot of my a lot of my students cannot come up with their tuition fees. You know, so we, we try to raise money for scholarships all the time. And people can do that all the way through all through that uh, web link. What's the average cost for a tuition? The the tuition for a, a ten year ten month program is is fifteen thousand dollars. Oh yeah, totally. And we, you know, yeah, and we need to uh, you know raise that money every year to try to get as many kids in there as possible. Well, we'll make sure we share that URL with our audience and see if we can't get uh, some of our, some our, I mean, we've got some people in the private sector of Grand America that have done quite well for themselves. And maybe if the government's not going to step up, some of those guys can step up and make a donation to the school. That would be nice. All right, uh, Shirley. Well, we'll we'll wrap this up. Do you have anything else you want to say before we let you go? No, my 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 family is just arriving here. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll uh, we'll okay. leave you to your family, and thanks for coming on the show. All right, thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay, right. Right. 
And that was our chat with Shirley Chichu, kind of dealing with some, uh, I mean, we're dealing with these gremlins again as soon as we fire Skype back up. I could hear everything you're doing over there. I can hear you scratching your face. So he, sc- <laughs> he scratches his face. Yeah, I don't really? know what it is. Yeah, your gate is not working at all. Much worse in Skype than Zoom. <laughs> And you know what? I really noticed it when you slid the mic across the desk. It sounded like the whole fucking studio was coming down. Wow. Anyway, what'd you think? We had to deal with some connection trouble, trying to do it over the cell phone and some uh, spotty service areas. But yeah, it was think? good, though. Yeah, I think it was good. Yeah, it went pretty well, I think. Yeah, yeah. Big thanks to... Well, go ahead. Thanks to you for uh, sort of... Maintaining the whole thing, pretty much. I like it. Yeah, you just sort of bailed Appreciate right it. out there. You just lean back and scratch face. <laughs> <laughs> well, big thanks to Shirley for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Big thanks to Tur Graham for just making this awful hissing noise during the outro. Um, Grammarica.ca slash support. If you can, when you can, maybe we can buy Graham something. Whatever the fuck is broken now. We love you guys. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Think if I sit here long enough, fixed to this green, brown, blue spot on Earth, approximately or 2,000 years. In old Domini, in old Domini, my hot drink would turn cold. My hot drink would turn cold My hot drink would turn cold for my shoes.
I roll by on a tricycle, on a tricycle, on a tricycle. That's getting all milk and honey, milk and honey, milk and honey. To be or not to be, that is the question, baby. Woke up this morning and all my blues was dead and gone.